Hello, I'm Yumna, and welcome to this podcast about conflict against women. We have many segments, such as Alina's segment on the impact of child marriages, Safia's segment on the impact of women discrimination in Egypt, Jasmine's segment on gender inequality in the workplace and how it affects women, Yu Yang's segment on different types of cultural violence against women, my segment on women after the Islamic Revolution in Iran, Hussein's segment on women's rights in Islam, Alistair's segment on the way women were treated unfairly in the Salem witch trials, and Parisa's segment on the change in the LGBTQ plus discrimination in the U.S. throughout the years. segment will be Jasmine talking about gender inequality in the workplace and how it affects women. Sexism is a global problem that negatively impacts both men and women. However, women are majoritively targeted, especially in the workplace. According to a survey by Peninsula, 81% of women have experienced sexism at work. The challenges women face within the workplace may consist of sexual harassment, the glass ceiling, lower pay, and much more. According to the Center for Talent Innovation, one in three women say they've experienced sexual harassment at work. With an overwhelming majority of men in the workplace, women are often seen as easy targets, making it easier for sexual harassment to go unnoticed or unchecked. The result of sexual harassment has a negative impact on job performance, leading to decreased motivation and the inability to concentrate due to the presence of the sexual innuendos. The different treatment between men and women in the office can also affect other factors within the workplace, including the advancement of women in leadership positions. The glass ceiling is a metaphor that refers to how women cannot advance in their careers due to the metaphoric barrier. For example, Fortune 500, a magazine that ranks the largest U.S. corporations by total revenue, has a percentage of only 6.4 of women on Fortune's list. However, that number is down to 4.8%. Women of color make up an even smaller percentage and only one in five firms worldwide have a female CEO or top manager. Promotions are often based on bias, nepotism, or the expectation around traditional gender roles which prevent women from advancing in their current job. The gender pay gap is the difference in remuneration between men and women where women are paid less than men. The pay gap is greatly influenced by job differences, years of experience, and hours worked, which are excuses to deny women equal pay. On average, for every dollar a man makes, 82 cents is earned for a woman. However, the gender pay gap is more than a few cents. An average from 2018 shows that a full-time working woman earned 10,194 less than her male counterpart. Since the majority of women are the primary caretakers of their children, they take lower-paying jobs that are more likely to have flexible timings compared to the other higher-paying jobs. As a result, women will have fewer hours worked than men, which results in less experience and puts women further behind in the workforce. Thank you. Thank you, Jasmine. And now we have Hussein's segment on women's rights in Islam. I am Hussein, here to report about women's rights in Islam. I'll be showing how Islam gave women the right to own property, how Islam elevated women's work opportunity, and how in Islam we're all treated as moral equals to God no matter our gender. Islam gave women rights to own property. In Islam, women are given the right to own and control property. This was important at the time as they were not treated well. Them being able to own and control land was crucial as it it was an important source of income and it could be used as a place of housing. 
Islam gave women elevated work opportunity and made it mandatory for them to be paid by the man on occasion. Islam helped women a lot with this and it made it a requirement to pay dowry or mahr to women. Dowry or mahr is a faith, a gift or a promise to the wife by the husband. Many of the women at the time, like Prophet Muhammad's wife Aisha, had many important roles. Aisha helped out with medicine, history, and rhetoric. This is proven by the surah that says, Allah has made one of you to excel the other. In Islam, we are all treated as moral equals to God, no matter our gender. In Islam, women and men's duties are the same, as they must complete the five pillars of Islam. When the Quran was brought down, it ended female infanticide, infanticide in ten in 610 AD. This meant that women would not have to have its newborns killed. In the Quran, it states, Their Lord responded to them, I never fail to reward any of you workers among any work you do. May you be male or female. You are all equal to one another. Thank you, Hussain. Now, I will be presenting Women After the Islamic Revolution in Iran. I'm going to be talking about how the Iranian Revolution changed the role of women in terms of their contribution to the workforce, clothing, and family space. Prior to the revolution, female employment in urban spaces was steadily increasing. Post-revolution, this trend completely reversed. In March 2016 and March 2017, only 14.9% of Iran's women are in the workforce compared to the 64.1% of men. This rate is lower than the average of 20% of all women in the Middle East and North Africa. Regulations and social expectations regarding women's attire also severely shifted. Pre-revolution, the Shah's vision to modernize he overreached. He outlawed the headscarf or hijab from being worn in public. This caused outrage within the country, and a huge effect was on older women in their society, as it was unthinkable for them to go out without their hijab. To them, it was equivalent to nudity. Post-revolution, new laws were banned. New laws were passed banning Western clothing and requiring that women remain completely covered by the traditional Islamic hijab at all times. No hair could be visible and no open-toed shoes. These laws were forced to the extent of having a special government agency being created to enforce the moral dress code, the provision of vice and enjoining of virtue. Changes in the family space were also very prominent. Before the revolution, the Shah's son continued the modern legislation that surrounded around women's rights. After the, the revolution, women's rights in the domestic sphere, sphere sh- severely shifted. In general, many laws were in favor for men and extreme belittling of women. For example, Article 1105 was added to Iran's civil code to state that the husband is the exclusive holder of the position of head of family. Finally, in an attempt to enforce religious legislation, the theocratic government ignored women's rights to the point of oppression. Women were stripped of their individuality and independence. I hope you enjoyed that. Now we have Yu Yang's segment on different types of cultural violence against women. 
My topic was different types of cultural violence, and I did research about the different types of cultural violence women face. Gender-based violence is violence directed at one because of one's gender. Gender-based violence is common in different cultures. One of the types of cultural violence is body autonomy. FGM is a type of cultural violence against women that more than 200 million girls and women alive today have been subjected to the practice. FGM involves removing and damaging healthy and normal female genital tissues and interferes with the natural functions of girls' and women's bodies. Statistics show that 970 million women live in countries that broadly allow abortion. Legal restrictions on abortion do not result in fewer abortions. Instead, they compel women to risk their lives and health by seeking out unsafe abortion care. Child marriage is a common practice in multiple cultures, with the total number of cases being as high as 12 million per year. The marriage of a daughter is also used to, in order to pay debts, manage disputes, or settle social, economic, and political alliances. In these communities, marrying your daughter is a way to transfer the burden so the family no longer have to deal with it. The prevalence of child marriage in West and Central Africa is 41%, meaning that 4 out of 10 girls and young women, nearly 60 million, were married before the age of 18. Honor killings are most often the murder of a woman or a girl by a male family member. The, fam the killers often claim the victim has brought dishonor to the family name or prestige in order to justify their actions. Even though, even though honor killings are suspected to be underreported, the United Nations Population Fund estimates that there are as many as 5,000 women that are killed annually for reasons of honor. The mere suspension that a woman has acted in a manner that could damage her family's name may, attack, may trigger an attack. Thank you, Yu Yang, and now we have LSR's segment on the way women were treated unfairly in the Salem Witch Trial. The witch executions began in 1572 as per historical opinion, nearly 40,000 and 60,000 people, majority of them being women, were executed throughout 1400 and 1782. Gender stereotypes were still quite fragmented at the time. There was still a very prevalent divide between women and men. One of the most popular claims at the time was that because women were physically susceptible to demonic seduction, they were more readily deceived by the devil. A research that was undertaken in one Chinese area enabled them to be able to test the much more prevalent theory, which is that witchcraft allegations are used to intimidate people who don't obey cultural practices. Anthropologists who conclude that the risk of destroying one's identity due to witch labeling or other factors. This would still be considered an ongoing issue since there's still a divide between gender and gender equality in traditional cultures and in contemporary ways that mimic witch hunts, such as online abuse directed at women. Thank you, Alessar. Now we have Alina's segment on the impact of child marriages. Child marriage is a practice that no one has been able to keep track of for as long as anybody can remember. Child marriage is either between two children or an adult and a child. Not only are they denied the right to choose their own partner, but they are subject to various religions, societal, and cultural practices that fail to honor their basic human rights. Child marriages continue to be widespread in developing parts of places such as Africa, South Asia, Southeast Asia, West Asia, and Latin America. According to the UN, 37,000 girls under the age of 18 are married each day. Both genders are pulled into marriage as children, but girls are disproportionately affected. 
Child marriage has a massive impact on their mental and physical health for the rest of their lives. Women are truly the first victims of these situations, possibly raped on a daily basis, humiliated, locked up, and beaten by the husband who is forced upon them. The death relations with pregnancy complications that are out of every 100 females, 40% of them are married below the age of 18. In addition to this, child brides are often unable to negotiate safer sexual practices and are therefore at a higher risk of HIV and STIs. Early married girls are at a higher risk of suffering from psychological disorders such as PTSD as these girls will be denied the right to freely express their views and the right to be defended against devastating traditional practices. Marriage dramatically limits a girl's access to education, and education levels are among the strongest predictors of whether a girl will marry early or not. Likewise, the more educated a child is, the less likely they are to marry early. Three times girls with no education are three times as likely to marry by 18 as those with a higher education. Societal expectations such as responsibilities in the home including housework, caring for children, or being physically unable to attend school because of pregnancy often hinder a girl who is married from accessing education. This leads to lower earning for child brides in adulthood since a lack of education prevents them from getting good jobs. Moreover, someone so young cannot be expected to understand what is involved in accepting a lifetime partner. They are also unable to learn that marriages before 18 years of age, consent is not even a material consideration. Finally, child marriage contributes to population growth by increasing fertility and the significant impact it has on economy. A report estimates that a girl marrying at 13 will have on average 26% more children over her lifetime than if she had married at 18 or later. This has a national impact on, on increased burden on basic services in these undeveloped parts of countries. The study also found that by ending child marriage, birth rates would decrease, productivity increase, and countries could benefit from economic growth. Thank you, Alina. And now we have Safia's segment on the impact of woman discrimination in Egypt. My name is Safia bin Halim, and my topic will evolve around women discrimination in Egypt and its impact on women's lives in terms of their education, employment, and violence rates. As the involvement of women discrimination increases throughout the years in the country of Egypt, it not only leaves most women to question its purpose, but also be affected by it in a substantial in a substantial way. According to UNICEF, there has been a higher percentage of youth literacy, people who know how to read and write, for men than women, which helps to conclude the fact that women in Egypt have had less education than men. There could be numerous reasons for this. One could conclude family beliefs in Egyptian society that revolves around how families believe men are the ones who work while women stay at home and clean or cook which is related as to why more men have a good education. This not only gives us opportunities for women in the future, but will eventually have a negative impact to women who are looking for employment or job opportunities. To move forward about its impact on employment rates, Lina Abrafi talks about how there is only a small portion of women who work outside of a home, and from those women, most of them work in traditionally feminized sectors. This has a lot with how women are being put into a tough situation, especially with those who got a divorce with their husband and need a job to pay for their kids since they were experienced growing up to get a job. But this is not only the issue, since there are also women who genuinely need jobs and enjoy getting a job opportunity, which they cannot do. Moving to violence, this has been an ongoing issue where women are constantly being raped, sexually harassed, and worst of all, getting FGM without, without them wanting to. Studies have shown that many women in Egypt have the FGM procedure at a young age, and this all shows how the government in Egypt is, ex- is ignoring all these behaviors, such as rapes and sexual harassment, which later on has an impact on women's mental health and general life. Thank you, Safia. And finally, we have Parisa's segment on the changing 
in the LGBTQ plus discrimination in the U.S. throughout the years. My research paper covered discrimination against the LGBT community, primarily focusing on how state laws have changed regarding their protection, then moving on to how members of the community were and still are denied healthcare and finishing off with police brutality against LGBT in the past and present. While discrimination against them is still very much evident in the 21st century, those of the community have managed to gain equal rights to cisgender heterosexual individuals in a few states. In a major civil rights decision on June 15, 2020, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled that federal law protects workers from job discrimination based on their sexual orientation or expression. 27 states did not have statewide law banning such discrimination until the ruling. All 50 states now allow same-sex marriage, and there are 21 states with full LGBT non-discrimination protections against them. This exhibits the success in which allies, activists, and those of the community have achieved, further proving the decrease in discrimination and increase in allies. Around July 2020, a health facility in Towson, Maryland, refused to treat a transgender man, Jesse Hammonds, due to religious reasons. In an interview, Hammonds expressed that he was shocked to find out that he had been denied surgery for being transgender when any other person could get it if they were cisgender. This case alone exhibits discrimination in the medical field, and there are well over thousands of other cases similar to this one. Hammond's case occurred after protection against discrimination laws were created, showing that although laws have been placed, prejudice continues to exist, displaying that little amount has, which has changed. According to the American Bar Association, police often profile and criminalize LGBT people, leading to multiple arrests based on biased beliefs, influence investigations, and contribution to the sexual assault and harassment of LGBT people by law enforcement. On February 8, 2021, where a transgender woman named Deanna Latre experienced extreme police brutality, she calls her up on the phone and rather than receiving assistance, she was put into more danger. Law enforcement had misgendered, assaulted, harassed, and arrested her. Discrimination against the LGBT community has been visible in the past and is still visible today. With multiple issues needing to be addressed, there is a large path ahead to equality amongst all people. Thank you, Parisa. This was our podcast about conflict against women. I hope you enjoyed it and learned something. Thank you for listening.